0: Hi everyone, this is Martin Willis and welcome to the Antique Auction Forum for episode number 123. Today's guest is Wendy Harvey. couple of announcements, you can follow us on Twitter or you can like us on Facebook and those icons are right on our website. If you'd like to contact me, that's info at antiqueauctionforum.com. Thank you for listening and I hope you enjoy the show today. This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com. Yes, I'm here. We're recording today with I have a co-host who you may remember from podcast number 101 on Stife Collectibles. Uh, Rebecca Kaufman's helping me out. How are you doing, Rebecca?
1: Thank you for including me. I'm really looking forward to speaking with our guest and you today.
0: Yes, Wendy Harvey. How are you doing, Wendy? I'm great. And we're going to talk about tiles well, Rebecca, you have a question right off the
1: bat. I do. From the collector's perspective, you, you see tiles, you see new tiles, you see old tiles. Why, can you explain the appeal of tiles and why they are very popular with people who are looking to not only collect things, but make their, yeah, enhance their house and make it more beautiful?
2: Yeah, that's a great cre- question, and I will try to explain that. Um, tiles are kind of ageless, and it's the kind of thing that they have used throughout history. Tiles were made in B.C., uh, and you can still go to parts of the world um, maybe a little less safely than you could have in the past, but you can still go to parts of the world where they have tiles that are extraordinarily old and still look exactly the same as they did when they came out of the kiln. So that I think, one of the appeals of tiles is it's one of those building mediums that really stands the test of time and does not fade in the sun or melt in the heat. And so it's not only a beautiful thing to use or enjoy, but it's also a practical thing to use. And I think people today are paying attention to things that have a history to them but also can be used in a contemporary way. So you can reuse something that's already made. You're not using new resources to make things. Um, you're using something that has a history and a beauty. And you're incorporating it then in a way that's incredibly unique to you. And so your home then has something that has history, but it also has an artistic flair that you created by using an old piece.
0: Now, when you just said that they really nothing happens to them, do you care for a tile in a certain way, or is it just something you can just...
2: Enjoy. You can. It's best not to drop it, especially on a cement or tile floor. Um, But other than that, there's very few things you can do that hurt it because it's high-fired clay that's glazed, and so you really don't need to do much. Direct sunlight. Direct sunlight doesn't hurt it. Um, Heat doesn't hurt it, which makes it ideal for places that you wouldn't put major artwork, and still you can have something that's decorative and beautiful, um, because those things that would fade your oils or your watercolors are not going to hurt your tiles.
1: So it says, it, from what you're saying, is that they're really durable, but that would be the front side. From the back side, how does does any chipping or breaking or any, affect the value or affect the beauty or the collectability of them?
2: Great question, because a lot of times people will want to use tiles outside, which is something they did a lot in temperate climates. Um, Because the backside is usually not glazed, the the moisture can get into the tile. So if you use them in a place where the freezing and thawing can happen, they're not going to last. So that was a great question. Um, The back of the tile is actually very interesting to collectors because it tells you a lot of information about who made the tile. Usually the back of the tile either has a grid pattern or the stamp mark of the manufacturer, which enables us to focus then on when it was made and how it was made. Um, And the grid pattern, which... They did by the manufacturers in order to help the tile adhere to the wall. Also gives us a lot of information about um, the time frame even within the particular manufacturer when a tile was used. And some collectors actually pay more attention to the backs than they do to the front.
0: Why don't you tell the listening audience what a tile is and what it isn't?
2: Well, there's a lot of controversy about that because there's a product called architectural terracotta, which is a similar process to a tile, but it's bigger. And they used it a lot in cladding buildings when they were building buildings, especially um, prior to like the 1930s. And so tile people kind of have this argument back and forth if architectural terracotta is the same thing as a tile. But for our purposes, how we define it, is generally a pressed piece of clay, either hand-pressed or machine-pressed, that has been fi- glazed and fired and can be in a variety of sizes, but the most common sizes are 6-inch or 8-inch.
0: Okay. And and is that worldwide?
2: No. It varies from country to country. Yeah. Um, and otter sizes generally will give you a hint as far as which country it may have come from, but usually they're square.
0: Now, when you said there was tiles going back to B.C., were they fired? Absolutely,
2: in- mm-hmm. um, but obviously not in the same kind of kilns that they were fired in during the Industrial Revolution. And so they're not as prevalent on the marketplace as the tiles that were made then because they were made in much larger numbers and could be made at a cheaper price point because of the Industrial Revolution. Now, is
0: an early, very, very early tile like that extremely valuable, or is that not what makes a tile valuable?
2: What usually makes a tile valuable is collectability. If there are more than one people in one person that wants that piece. Usually value is determined on what price someone is willing to put on a piece. And in order to have more value you have to have more people that are interested. So the tiles in the United States that are the most valuable are the arts and crafts period tiles, mm-hmm. which were American tiles that were made during a specific time frame and were made by companies that are well known and very desirable to collectors who have fairly deep pockets.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I saw a marble head tile that went for ninety five thousand. So.
2: Absolutely. So, and a Frederick Reed tile just went for a huge amount of money at auction just this past few weeks.
1: Are these single tiles, or more like something you'd see around a fireplace or in a mosaic?
2: The ones we're talking about specifically are single tiles. Um, obviously, if you have more of them, it may make them more valuable, and it might make them less valuable because there are more of. Generally, if there are less of a particular thing, then it has greater value than if there are huge numbers of that same thing, even if they're really well-known tiles like marblehead tiles.
0: Now, was a marblehead tile like that that's really valuable? Was that uh, never meant for actually cementing?
2: Too. No, most tiles were made to be used. Um, now, they may have been used in ways that we didn't think about now. They may have been in the back of a piece of furniture. Um, some of the most expensive and desirable English tiles came from very high-end furniture pieces and were expensive even in their day.
0: Can you name some of the uh, tile makers, first of all, American tile makers in the arts and crafts?
2: Yes, some of the American tile makers are Marblehead, who you've already mentioned, um, Garubi, And these were also companies that did vessels as well as tiles. They didn't just do tiles. Now, there were American makers that just made tiles. um, But most people who are familiar with American tiles at all are familiar because they're aware of the... uh, Vases that were also made by these companies. So there's a company in Cal, uh, there was a company in um, Connecticut called Hartford Fiance, which was very well known for tiles. They did the tiles for the New York City subway. There were quite a few tile makers that were in New Jersey, including a company called Pardee. There were quite a few American tile makers that were in. Uh, Zanesville, Ohio, it must have been a really good area because they made pottery as well as tiles. And some Roseville of the tile companies, from, yeah. Roseville didn't make tiles, but Empire. Yeah. But I mean um, a lot
0: of pottery. A lot of
2: pottery came from Zanesville. So I think it must have the the right combination of, uh, so Owens was there, Empire was there, um, American Encaustic, which was probably the largest American tile producer that mass-produced tiles for use and also did some art tiles. Um, there were a huge number of tile companies in California, mm-hmm. including Gladding McBean, Catalina, which is very well known.
0: Yeah. I've seen the tile top tables. Yes,
2: fabulous, mm-hmm. fabulous tile top tables and very different aesthetic than you see from the tiles that were made in the on the East Coast right. or even in the middle of the country, which is kind of fun too bright, because you poly-crawl. bright. Yes, kind of the Spanish Mexican yes. influence in the color palette.
0: Right.
1: Wendy, if a company made both tiles and ceramics, would the marks on the back be the same?
2: Sometimes, and sometimes not. Um, and it just depended sometimes on the tile, the time frame in which the particular item was done. Um, sometimes it just depended on the process by which it was made. Um, so there was a lot of variation. And, of course, we are speculating on some of it as well, because not... Many, if any, of the archives have existed or, or still exist for a lot of the companies, so we don't know exactly the process by which they decided how they were going to mark which thing.
0: So are there really valuable mystery tiles out there?
2: To me, there are. To me, some of the most interesting and therefore valuable to me tiles are the mystery tiles, the ones that were hand-painted, and we don't know the artists, but we know they're extraordinarily well done, and they are pieces of art. Um, or tiles that we know are done by an American tile company because we can look at the glazes and the clay, but we don't know exactly who did them. So to me, those are much more valuable. And I have a very good friend that is collecting what's known as studio tiles, tiles that were made maybe uh, by a student. There used to be ceramic programs in many of the high schools in the United States. Mm -hmm. And some of these students were extraordinarily talented, and he has a phenomenal collection of what I would think is very, very valuable tiles, but they cannot be attributed necessarily to any one artist or even any one program. So to me, that makes them interesting and that makes them valuable.
0: Now, a little different tact, we'll talk about over glaze or painted over tiles, and that is, uh, we were talking earlier, I have a Gladding McBean tile that was painted by an artist San Francisco listed artist um, there was the tile club and uh, artists like Winslow Homer um, who painted tiles can you talk a little bit about that
2: it was a very well known group of artists that did different kinds of tiles and unfortunately for most of us we're never going to see them in person but there was a very nice book that was done that speaks directly to the tile club and is very interesting if people have more interest in that um it was a very popular thing to do so it wasn't just famous artists that did tiles mm-hmm. uh people at home could do them. So the the women that did the China painting on the cups and saucers or the vases or the may also, in fact, have chosen to do some tiles. And one of the founders of Rookwood actually started by painting, hand painting things, um, including some tiles. Mm-hmm. And some of the well-known and prized American tiles were hand painted.
1: Did that include me at the Saturday Evening Girls?
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, Although most of their things were incised rather than painted.
0: For American tiles, what is the Holy Grail?
2: If I answer honestly, I would say the Holy Grail is different for each collector. So I'm going to tell you what I think the Holy Grail is for me, because, and obviously the Reed piece that was a very well documented tile. So the provenance was great. The one I mentioned before Mm -hmm. that went to auction for huge money. And we knew the artist and the artist was extraordinarily prominent. So that for that collector was the Holy Grail.
0: So was that in the six figures? Yes, it was. In a few hundred thousand or more? More. Wow. That's amazing.
2: Now worth it from that collector's standpoint. I happened to prize a company called Hartford Fiance. I prized them because the artistry was amazing. The glazes were developed by um, the founder of Hartford Fiance, whose name was Eugene Atwood. He worked with William Gruby of Gruby Fiance to develop the glazes, and then Atwood went back to Hartford where his family was from and started this pottery that made tiles, and they were in high demand at the time. And he was only in production for a short period of time because he soon found out he could make more money making insulators. Mm. And the company continued to make insulators for a very long time, way after a tile business would have ended due to the American Depression. And so I prized them because they have all of the cachet of the American arts and craft tile but a short period of time in production so you don't find them on the market that often and so it's quite wonderful to find them and to meet make, makes that that makes them valuable mm-hmm.
0: before we move into your your specialty which is English tiles um, what did the depression Due to the tile market.
2: It pretty much killed it.
0: And the pottery market.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. Understandably, a few of the companies managed to limp through and to uh, consolidate their businesses and to merge with others, and they managed to stay in production and make a lot of the tiles that if we grew up after the war in the houses that were made when... After World War II, we recognize as the pink and gray tiles that were in our bathrooms black and mm-hmm. but none of the decorative tiles really survived and certainly none of the artists that made the beautiful decorative tiles were able to continue.
1: Well, that explains the pink tiles in my bathroom. It does. After the war was there any revival in tile artwork or tile interest?
2: I think there's a huge revival in tile interest, but not till the last 20 years when I I began to see, as we were developing our business, I began to see artists that were starting to be able to make a living making tiles in exactly the same way they would have been made and have been made all over the years and all over the centuries, either pressing them with a a, a tile press and then glazing them, or by molding them by hand and glazing them and there's a huge revival now and if you look at any of the decorating magazines you'll see that tile is appearing in a lot of different places and mass-produced tile and handmade tile and combinations of tile and antique tile and people are really understanding that tile is beautiful and practical so there is a huge revival i think
1: Let's talk a little bit about English tile. I understand that's your specialty.
2: Yes, it is, and okay.
1: my love. What do we need to know?
2: We need to know that uh, a man named Herbert Minton, and Minton might ring a bell with lots of people because they also made a lot of uh, tableware, dishes and China. Herbert Minton figured out that what was happening in the cathedrals in England was that the floors that were made in the 12th century were crumbling. They were called encaustic floor tiles. They had been made and walked on for all those years, and they were crumbling. And Herbert Minton was brilliant. He thought, mm-hmm, marketing opportunity. He bought up some patents, and he figured out a way to, to reproduce or remake in the old manner encaustic floor tiles in a way that was cost-effective. And he began then to market these throughout England and then the world. He was very prominent. He was friends with Prince Albert and he showed these tiles to Prince Albert at his club and he donated the tiles to some of the major cathedrals because he knew that people would go to church and they would see these new tiles and they'd think, hmm, I want some of those. And he also then paved one of the houses for Queen Victoria and Prince Albert with these encaustic tiles. The house was on the Isle of Wight in England, and so it had a, a cachet. The king had it. The queen had it. We want it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he built it from there. And then as he began building, so he started with the encaustic floor tiles, which he didn't just market, he market in England. He also shipped some to the United States for free to some different places that people would see. And he also built a business with that and then realized he could begin to build a decorative tile business for wall tiles, which is what our or my love is, is the wall tiles.
0: Can you be specific what a wall tile is?
2: Um, A wall tile is a high-glazed tile that would have a design or picture on it and would be mounted on the walls. And in England, where they were originally used, they went from the baseboard all the way to the ceiling with different patterns and different designs and used every place, inside and outside buildings, um, foyers, stairs. The places they weren't used were the places we think tiles need to be. They weren't used in the kitchens because that's where the servants were and you didn't decorate for the servants. And they weren't used in the bathrooms because the bathrooms were still moving from outdoors to indoors during this time frame. But they were used around fireplaces and walls and furniture and every other place imaginable. And because they were mass-produced, they were affordable. And because people were moving off the farms to work in the factories, they began to have some discretionary money. And because people are people, they wanted what other people had. And then there was something... Um, that happened, they had a worldwide exhibition in England. And people came from all over, and they began to see that there was this tile industry that was beginning and that things were beautiful and they could afford them, and they went away and started ordering them.
0: Now, approximately what era was that? Late 19th century?
2: Yes.
1: Wendy, how does what you're describing, these wall tiles, differ from a mosaic? great
2: question because mosaics are very ancient too. The the ancient Romans used mosaics, yeah. but those are little bits and pieces um, that were put together to make a picture. And the tiles are six inch or eight inch squares. And usually the picture is complete in that square. And although the corners may be decorated so the squares can put together be put together to build a bigger design, usually the, pi- the tiles aren't put together to build one solid picture, although they did do those as well and still do.
0: When you get something like that's part of a, say, a diptych or triptych and it's missing, how does that is it just kill the value of it?
2: it? It does if you need all three pieces mm-hmm. or two pieces to make a whole. If it is... You know a bird is flying on one and on the second piece that was made to go together, the tree or the nest, so that the bird can stand alone, then it really doesn't because it's rare that you're going to get most of the tiles were used, so because they were used, they were installed, and it's rare that you can get huge numbers in really good condition um, that form a complete picture which to go back to our question of rarity, if you have a complete picture and all the pieces are intact and they're all and you know they came from an installation, then that adds to the value as well because it's rare to get them that they remained intact.
0: Okay, let's let's say um, I bought a house somewhere here in Massachusetts, and I go in and there's a marble head tile fastened to a fireplace, and I want that tile, and I want to move. What do I do?
2: I would advise you to leave it in place.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And we have talked people out of removing. It's very, very difficult to remove the tile and keep it intact because in the United States, they inserted the tiles in something called Portland cement, which is like amazingly hardy. And so to get a tile out, you'll often destroy it, and then you've totally destroyed the value. Plus, you've ruined the historical value of having the tile in, in where it belonged mm-hmm. in the first place. It was put there when the, the, the house was either built or renovated. And there's all kinds of stories of fabulous mansions in the area that have been mowed down, and the history has been lost, and the tiles have been destroyed. So the value, a lot of times, is in it remaining in place and that's not to say people oftentimes try to remove them, and we'll get calls. Generally, if it's absolutely crucial they be removed, you need a professional, and it's very expensive to do.
1: In terms of collecting tiles and their collectability, if one has a tile and they know the story behind it, does that add to the interest and value?
2: It certainly adds to the interest. It may or may not add to the value. uh, If it's just a story about how it came through the family or, you know, they went to the factory or whatever, that adds interest, it might not. If, in fact, it has the whole history because you can talk about the artist or it was a tile from the Tile Club, or if it was a tile... And so there's more to it than just, this is a nice story. Then it may, in fact, add to the value.
0: If you're a tile collector, how do you display tiles, and do you frame them?
2: Good, good question. People ask me that very often. You can always um, frame them, like you said. That's a great way to show a tile. And many tiles are little pieces of art, so a frame is totally appropriate. The other thing that's very easy to do is to take a tile and put it on a little metal plate rack. They're just little, okay, Um, because that's interchangeable, and you can move it from place to place. They work really, really well if you just uh, put them on on a rack or, like, behind a... In a bookcase or behind a sink or someplace where they just lean a bit, you can just tuck them there, and then you can pull them off and use them. A lot of people do that in their kitchens, and then they serve on them, mm-hmm. because if the tile surface is flat, it's not going to hurt if it has your cup of tea on it or something, your casserole. Um, other people do things like uh, little molding, or um, I have some myself that I have velcro to the wall. And if, if you make sure the Velcro is solid on the back of your tile and solid on your wall so it's not pulling just off the paint, it works fine. What I did find out to my chagrin is I did go to move one of my tiles and I went to pull it and the Velcro was strong enough that it snapped the tile. So if you're going to use a Velcro, it's better to ease it off rather than just pull it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm constantly learning new and clever ways that people are displaying tiles. We had one customer in New York that loved tiles so much and ran out of wall space that he custom-built them into a door frame wow. So, or a headboard, um, you know. Well,
1: hopefully he's not moving if he's put it in his door frame.
2: Well, you know, there's two ways to look at that. If you love your tiles a lot, yeah, you could take them off and or never move, or what you could say is, I have, you know... Increase the value of the home I lived in, and if I get to move, I get to start again and buy some more. Is
0: there, like, a major collector in the country, or are there major collectors that you're aware of? Mm -hmm. And also, what is the demographics of collecting?
2: Yes, there are major collectors, and just like in anything else, they kind of fall into categories. So people who collect Wedgwood China would be interested in collecting Wedgwood tiles. So they're collecting because of the manufacturer. Or people who collect dog items, for example, would be interested in adding a tile that has a dog face on it, perhaps. Mm -hmm. So there's those kind of collectors. And then there's collectors that are collecting for the prestige value. So they're collecting the best of the best from maybe every American tile company or every English tile company. Or they're interested in collecting the best examples by an artist that worked for that company. Um, So Collectors vary, and they are as interesting as any other collector in any other field, and they collect for a variety of different reasons. Um, so I'm always meeting new collectors who are collecting for whatever reason they have, and it's fun to hear their stories because they all vary.
0: Any young people collecting at all
2: Yes, that? and great, great question because, you know, it, it seems to be, you know, antiques seem for many people to be very stuffy um, and something your grandmother had and that you never wouldn't necessarily, or your mother had, um, and you wouldn't necessarily want to live with. We're finding that our young customers are attracted to tiles because of the graphic value, because the fact that they are so in your face with fabulous designs and that you can use them. And so most of our young collectors are collecting to actually do a project. They're going to put them back in a kitchen. They're going to put them in a solarium. They're going to put them in the the shower again. They're going to put them in their child's bathroom or bedroom. And so they're collecting because of the historic value less than because of the graphic design, which are surprisingly contemporary and are using interesting and different colors that are still usable today and that you can design with, and that they're practical and actually quite affordable.
1: And the other thing that's great about them is they don't take up too much room.
2: Absolutely, and we have a lot of customers who live in cities who collect for just that reason because they'll go, they give you a really good design impact over a door or a window or a narrow wall that you wouldn't want or, or wouldn't really house a major piece of art but still need a little design Influence. So, yeah, they work really well because they don't take up a lot of space.
0: I would almost cringe if, like, someone had a really nice tile and they decided to mount it to their fireplace. To me, it would almost seem like that's not the right thing to do. Like, you want to keep it by itself, but it's just...
2: Well, and I think that the best place for antique tiles is where they were originally installed, and the next best place is to be reinstalled because they're going to then remain intact for the next... 500 years or however long your particular installation lasts. And the thing I've learned from the customers is we all have a price point at which we're comfortable. So you might say, my really nice tile that I paid $50 for, I'm not comfortable putting on my my fireplace. And the next customer might say, it's only $50. That's not a lot. That's going to make my, my fireplace beautiful. I want to enjoy that. And we have customers that, at any price point, feel that way, so and we all have to decide what our own area of, of comfortableness is with using our antiques. I just feel like they should be used and enjoyed, and certainly installing them is going to keep them safe and beautiful, and everybody's going to enjoy them.
0: wow that's that's really a, a turn on what you know the general feelings are about a lot of things like this, so that's very interesting. Um, what is the price point? someone can start collecting it?
2: Well, again, it depends on exactly what your collecting style is, and some people like to collect more things more frequently. You know, every time you go out, you want to find something, Uh, in which case you can probably find tiles that were made in the 50s and 60s for around $10. Mm -hmm. Um, The tiles I specialize in that were made in the 1880s, the ones that have pretty flower designs on them average about $50 a piece. And then tiles that have uh, tell stories or have um, figural things on them generally average about $100 a piece. And then, of course, it can go up from there. So you need to decide what do you want to do with it, how, what your collecting style is like. Do you, want to, do you want to buy something every time you go shopping? Or do you want to wait and buy something a little more special? So you might want to save your $10 for one dollars tile and then, so you, you have to put all that together and see yeah. uh, what you what you really want to do with it and how you want to use it, and what 's good for you
1: as someone who loves tiles, can you tell us about an experience you had that you held a tile in your hand, that you felt some magic about it or felt something wonderful about it or recognized its value or beauty?
2: Yes. Um, So now let me give give a minute to think which one gave me the most tingle. I think the one that gave me the most tingle was when we visited a friend in England who is a very um, not only well-known tile collector but a tile lover. So he's never met a tile he didn't like. And because of that, he collects across the board, which is a little different than most collectors. Most collectors focus. And we were going through his collection, and he was showing us all kinds of fun things. And all of a sudden, he pulled out this shard that was done, and he could tell me the monastery that it was made in, and the king that it was made for, and what price point they sold it for, which was pennies, which in the Middle Ages was extraordinary money, and It was really fun to hold this little piece of, for me, ancient history in tiles. Now, I realize there were tiles older still, but the chance of my being able to touch them and see them is probably slim. But this I could actually touch. And he could tell me so much about it because it was an English tile, and he was an English scholar. And so that was probably one of the most fun things. Mm -hmm. But I'm still finding things. You know, we are still, have been doing this business for long enough. Thousands of tiles have gone through our hands. We still find tiles that make me tingle. And it doesn't necessarily relate to the rareness of the tile or the maker of the tile or the size of the tile. It, it, it catches, it's like, you know, finding a, a gem and the gem could be a different gem each day, and it can be of different value each day. And it was, it's really still fun to find a tile that I've never seen in that colorway, or a company, I didn't know they made tiles, or a glaze that, how'd they do that, or um, something that's just extraordinary from some different kind of point of view. So I think you can find gems all the time. And I, I think I'm still in this business because it still makes me tingle. It's not just that one rare, rare piece.
1: Well, that's the mark of a true collector. I and think the true that's expertise. true.
2: I think that's true.
0: Uh, there was several years ago either Barbara Streisand or someone bought a tile top, Gustav Stickley table. Was that a groovy tile? Do you happen to know?
2: I don't know, but I would suspect it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly Barbara Streisand was a major collector. Of arts and crafts and served to drive the price up for arts and crafts across the board. And tiles were kind of pulled up as a result.
1: Wendy, does uh, the issue of fakes come up a lot in your industry and in the specialty?
2: Yes. Um, probably not as in some other things because tiles haven't been as valuable for as long. They were kind of like the, uh, the practical art that kind of got ignored um, as opposed to the the extraordinarily expensive groovy vases. I always would say that, you know, as a tile lover and a tile dealer, I would lift the $50,000 groovy vase off the tile that might only be $2,000 tile and not even see the vase because I was paying attention to the tile. Well, the other also proved true. People were paying attention to the $50,000 groovy vase. So as the price of the tile rows, then people jumped in and and faked them. And the American Art Pottery Association had a fabulous exhibit of faked vases and tiles. And some of the ones that were faked were some groovy pieces, some uh, primarily in the American arts and crafts, the expensive end of the tile market, which would make sense that if you were going to take the time to fake something, you would make it and make it worth your while as well as your time. Some of the ways they fake them is to leave them encased in cement so they looked like you couldn't really see the the back back. of the tile, which is going to give you a lot of information, or the clay body, which gives you more information. Uh, Sometimes they, they faked them by using a similar design, but the glaze was a little off or the mark was a little different. Um, but on first blush, when you were, you know, in the excitement of, or maybe in the darkness of hunting in a brimfield or someplace where you might come across a prize, you didn't examine it or couldn't examine it as closely as you would like to. and And they certainly snuck in. Now there's still tiles that are being made today using old designs They're not necessarily being made to deceive, but if you're not familiar, you may, pre- you may pay an antique tile price for a newer piece because the tile face looks similar if you're not familiar with tiles.
1: Do you also see issues of fakes in the English market as well as the US Yes, market?
2: and those are the ones I'm talking about now that they're making, and not as often, but there certainly are some. And, again, if I was living just in, in Europe, perhaps I would see more because what's most valuable here in the States are the American tiles. So that's what's going to be faked here. I suspect that may also be true if the most valuable tiles are in Europe are a different kind of tile that would be faked there, and I'm not quite as familiar with that.
0: If you were to say to the novice collector right now, what's a good way to get started in collecting, what would you say?
2: I would say come and look at tiles. That's the first thing to do and see that, in fact, you like them and feel them and touch them and then start to talk to people who are knowledgeable. And if you find that you enjoy them and you found someone that's knowledgeable, that's willing to share, and I believe strongly that any reputable dealer is willing to share because... It's not secret knowledge. It's knowledge that I have just because I've done it longer. But if you're going to be a collector, you're going to need to know some things. So you find someone you're willing to talk to. Then do a little research. You know, start to look at some books. Start to go and visit some museums. Start to go and see tiles that are in their original installations. Start to talk to people. Join some organizations that deal with generally pottery and tiles. There's one in the United States I mentioned called the American Art Pottery Association. There's one in England called the Tile and Architectural Ceramics Society, and that's just tiles. And you get to talk to other collectors, and you get to gain some more information.
0: Now, do you do a website business? I do. And your
2: website? The website is antiquearticles.com and antiquetileladies.com. Uh, one is more geared toward the use of tiles. That's the Antique Tile ladies site. And the other one shows you really good examples of tiles that you can purchase. And it's a good place to start to see if you even like what they look like.
1: I understand that you do a lot of shows, and that's where you meet collectors and talk about tiles. And we met at the New England Antique Show in Wilmington. We did. And you'll be going there in a couple of weeks?
2: Yes. it's The show is in January on the front of our website. It has all the shows we'll be at. We also do New York City do a show in Chicago. We do a show at the Arts and Crafts Convention in Asheville, North Carolina. It's a good place to start, and the combination of the web business and the shows works really well because although the tiles show beautifully on the website, you don't really get the depth of the glazes, and you can't touch. But if you see us at a show, you can touch. And then you can go home, and you can think about it and order the ones you didn't buy there at the show. I'm happy to sell you tiles at the show, but also go home and you can look at other tiles you didn't see there, and you can know that they're going to look even better in person than they do on the website.
0: Well, thank you so much.
2: Well, you're very welcome.
0: So this is Martin Willis, joined by Rebecca Kaufman, and we're signing off with Wendy Harvey.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: This podcast is sponsored by WorthPoint. Find out what your antiques are worth at worthpoint.com.